I invite you to turn your Bibles this afternoon to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4 can be found on page 189 in the Adoration Bibles, 189. We'll read the whole chapter together. We'll do so particularly through the lens of what Moses says in verse 32. Here in Deuteronomy chapter 4, God's people are about to enter the promised land, but their leader of 40 years, Moses, has not been permitted to go with them. Now, if you were Moses, what would you say? What would you want these people whom you've come to love a great deal? What would you want them to know? What would you want them to do? at this great turning point in their history. We find the answer here in Deuteronomy chapter 4. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and rules that I am teaching you and do them, that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you, your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, Peor, for the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. You see, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them. For that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who will then hear all these statutes and will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon Him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children, how on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth they may teach their children so. And you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. And he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, that is, the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone, and the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you the statutes and rules that you might do them in the land that you are going over to possess. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully. Since you saw no form on that day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire, beware, lest you should act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness 
of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth. And beware, lest you raise your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun, the moon, the stars, and the host of the heaven, you be drawn away, and bow down to them, and serve them, things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. But the Lord has taken you, and has brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of His own inheritance, as you are this day. Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me because of you, and he swore that I should not cross the Jordan and that I should not enter the good land the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance. For I must die in this land. I must, go, I must not go over the Jordan, but you shall go over and take possession of that good land. So take care, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and you make a carved image of any of carved image, the form of anything the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is consuming fire and jealous God. When, when you father children and children's children have grown old in the land, if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything, and by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, so as to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it, but will be utterly destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you'll return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. For ask now of the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of the heaven to the other, whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. Did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself in the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and outstretched arm, and by a great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides Him. Out of heaven, He let you hear His voice that He might discipline you. And on the earth, He let you see His great fire and you heard His words out of the midst of the fire. And because He loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with His own presence by His great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than you, to bring you in, to give you the land for an inheritance as it is this day. Know therefore today and lay, it to, and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath and there is no other. Therefore, you shall keep his statutes and his commandments which I command you today that it may go well with you and with your children after you. That you may prolong your days in the land the Lord your God is giving you for all time. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures 
forever. Dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, as I said just a few moments ago, here in Deuteronomy 4, the people of Israel find themselves at a great turning point in their history. After 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, they now find themselves at the border of the promised land. And they don't know what all awaits them on the other side. They don't know just how strong their enemies will be. And they don't know how exactly it's going to be that God is going to give this land flowing with milk and honey into their hands. But what they do know is what the Lord has promised them. What they do know is that the Lord will surely go before them and that the Lord will surely be with them even as He has been with them these last 40 years. For 40 years, all they have needed, God's hand has provided. When they were hungry, God sent manna to fall from heaven so they would not starve. When they were thirsty, God caused water to gush from the rocks so they would not languish. For 40 years, their, the clothes on their backs, the sandals on their feet did not wear out. God was with them. And even in the wake of much grumbling and murmuring, their God had also been gracious to forgive them, for their God is a, a merciful God, verse 31. And so they could be sure that as they go over into this new land, that God would not leave them or destroy them or forget the covenant He had made with them. Indeed, the nation of Israel stands on the border of the promised land with Moses' questions in verses 7 and 8, ringing in their ears, what great nation is there that has a God so near to us as the Lord is near to us whenever we call upon Him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as have been revealed to us in the law of God? In other words, who else in all the world has been so privileged as to receive revelation from the one true and living God of the universe? We see at this great turning point in Israel's history where they don't know what all the future holds. They do know who holds the future. And they can rest assured in the knowledge that the very same God who conquered the Egyptians will conquer the Canaanites as well. The very same God who, who brought them safely through the waters of the Red Sea will bring them safely through the waters of the Jordan River too. This is Israel's confidence at this turning point in their history. Without wanting to draw a correlation too strongly, we find ourselves at a similar turning point this afternoon. We stand on the border of a new year. Another year is dawning. We don't know all that the year 2024 will bring. We don't know all that the future holds. But like Israel long ago, we know who holds the future. We know what the God who has promised to go before us will continue to go before us, that He'll continue to be with us, to lead us and guide us into another year. In fact, we know that even if this year is the last year for Christ may well return before the clock strikes midnight, that even if Christ should return tonight, that we have no reason to be afraid. For whom else has a God so near as the Lord is near to us? As the psalmist says, we know that He'll not let 
our feet be moved. He who, he who keeps us will neither slumber nor sleep. He will keep us from all evil. He'll keep our lives. He'll keep our going out and our coming in from this time forth and forevermore. But at this turning point in our own history, at this turning point between 2023 and 2024, and with a view to the future, the Spirit of Christ would have us to be mindful of the days that are past. To, the vote, to those of us who perhaps may have some fear or trepidation of the future, the Spirit says, ask now of the days that are past. The Lord calls us as His redeemed people to look back, not only on the year of 2023, but to look all the way back to the very foundations of the world and to consider all of God's dealings with His people from Adam and Eve onward. He bids us to, to rehearse the story of redemption in our minds, that story that, that began in Genesis 3.15, that story that was carried out through the lives of all the patriarchs and the prophets, to rehearse that story and the climactic events of the story that came to fruition in the life and death and resurrection and ascension of Christ. And He bids us to ask the questions, has anything like this ever happened before? Has such love ever been placed on so great a display? Has faithfulness ever been seen to be as great as, as God's faithfulness has been to us? Ask now of the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from, from one end of the heaven to the other whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or has ever heard of. We can read all about the great events of human history. We can read about the rise and fall of the Roman Empire. We can read about the Renaissance and the Reformation. We can read about the Industrial Revolution and about the World Wars. We can read about all the great things that, that man has accomplished, taking to flight and even landing on the moon. But do any of these things even begin to compare to what God has accomplished? Does any achievement of man even begin to compare to what God has achieved? Does any human victory compare to the victory that God accomplished at the Red Sea or at the empty tomb? And the answer, of course, is no. Nothing compares to what God has done. And this reality ought to give us a fresh biblical perspective on our world. It ought to give us a biblical perspective in whatever circumstances we find ourselves in as we ask now of the days that are past, as we stand at another turning point. God summons us to ask of the days that are past. He summons us to rehearse and to remember everything that God has done for His people. As we read through the Old and New Testaments, He would have us to recognize that this great story of redemption is, is our story, that the history recorded is, is our history. We've been grafted into this history so that it's ours. During my second summer assignment in Strathroy, I became close friends with an old Dutchman. His name was Mr. John Vandertil. And 
He was, he was shocked that I did not know where in the Netherlands my family had come from. And he would, he would insist, you, you have to know your roots. You have to go back and you have to learn your roots, he would say. And that's what Moses is saying here. We have to know our roots. We have to know our history, our spiritual history, lest we forget. Lest we depart from the ways of God. This is the point that Moses strives home in verse 9, where he says, take care, take special care, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life, and make, them, and make these things known to your children and your children's children. And it's a refrain that Moses strikes again and again and again throughout this book, Take care lest you forget because God knows that our tendency is to forget. But God wants us to remember. And so God calls us to rehearse in our minds the great things that he has done. The Christian faith, you see, is not just a system of doctrines. It's not just a, a list of moral standards, of ethical commands. To quote one of my former professors, the Christian faith is an announcement. The Christian faith is an announcement of what God has done in the world, in time, and in space. It's an announcement of what God has accomplished apart from us, outside of us, but for our sake. And this is why what we often see in, in the Bible is a simple rehearsing of what God has done. The first half of, of the Old Testament, Genesis through Esther, is just a rehearsing of what God has done. So too in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, a, a rehearsing of the things that God was doing through the lives of his people. Why has God chosen to make himself known primarily through events in history? The reason we discover here in Deuteronomy 4 is because God's acts in redemptive history reveal to us not only a great deal about what God has done, but they reveal to us a great deal about who God is. God's actions show us what God is like. His actions show us what he values. In verses 3 and 4, for example, Moses brings to Israel's minds what God did at Baal Peor. Numbers 25 uh, records the event in some detail. There, Numbers 25, read that the sons of Israel were beginning to, to mingle with the daughters of Moab. They were beginning even to, to worship the false gods of Moab. And how did God respond? His anger was kindled against them, and God sent a plague that killed 24,000 people in Israel. Moses wants Israel to remember that. But why? Why does Moses want Israel to remember what God did at Baal Peor? He wants them to remember what God did there because that moment in Israel's history revealed something about who God was. It revealed that their God was a jealous God. God's actions revealed that he was jealous for his name and for his people, for his people's loyalty and devotion and worship. 
In verses 9 and following, Moses brings to their minds God's act of disclosing himself at Mount Sinai. He says in verse 11, you came near and you stood at the foot of the mountain while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of the heavens, wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom. And the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words but saw no form. There was only a voice and he declared to you his covenant, the Ten Commandments. Israel must take care lest they forget this. But why must they remember this event at Mount Sinai? Because at the foot of Mount Sinai, they heard God's voice, but did not see his form. And this act of God's self-disclosure, says Moses in verses 15 and following, was intended to remind them forever that God could not be represented by any image of any kind. This foundational event in Israel's history, says Moses, is to be forever stamped on their minds, lest they should forget the fact that the Lord is a consuming fire and a jealous God. That Moses wants them to know that as they go into this promised land, they're going to see all kinds of crazy things, all kinds of false gods and false worship. And rather than being overwhelmed by what they see before them, Moses says, no, remember what you saw. Remember what you saw at Mount Sinai. Remember the smoke and the fire. That you heard his voice, but you saw no form. You shall not make for yourself any carved images. In verses 25 to 28, Moses looks into the future. He envisions Israel eventually forgetting the Lord and God scattering his people, sending them into exile. But what reason will Israel have for hope? It says in verse 29, But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in tribulation, all these things come upon you in the latter days. You will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. Remember God's revelation at Mount Sinai. God constituting his people with the covenant promise to make them a great nation. Finally, here in verses 32 and to 40, Moses goes even further back in time. He goes back to the Exodus, to that great work of redemption at the Red Sea where the deep trembled and the waters split in two so that Israel could walk through on dry ground. Moses says, has such a thing ever been heard of? That, what did that reveal about who God was? It revealed that he is the great redeemer. He is the great rescuer. The great savior of his people. Ask now of the days that are past which were before you and ask from one end of the heavens to the other, has anything so great as this ever happened before? Or has anything like it ever been heard of? Has any other God tried to take for himself one nation out of another nation by trials and signs and wonders, by war, by a mighty hand, and an outstretched arm, by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? And the answer, of course, is no. No, there is no other God 
in all the world who's ever done such a thing. There is no other God like our God because he is the only God. And God has performed these great and awesome deeds in history, in human time, so that we ourselves might know this to be so. Verse 35, to you it was shown that you might know the Lord is God and there is no other besides him. God tells us what we are to remember so that we might know where we are to rest. He calls us to remember to rehearse all these great and awesome deeds that he's done throughout history that we might know where to rest, namely in him and in him alone. He continues along these lines. Moses continues in verses 36, 39. Out of heaven he let you hear his voice that he might discipline you. On earth he let you see his great fire and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because God loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them, and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in, to give you their land for inheritance as it is this day. Know therefore and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God. That the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth beneath and there is no other. When God triumphed over all the so-called false gods of Egypt in the ten plagues, when God triumphed over Egypt at the Red Sea, God revealed who he was, and he revealed who he was toward Israel. That not only was he almighty God, but he was also the faithful father. And Exodus 2 ends with, with Israel groaning because of their slavery, wondering, has God forgotten us? And by saving the Red Sea, God showed, I'm not the God who forgets. But God saw the people of Israel. He remembered his covenant, and God knew. And then he sends them Moses. To quote one pastor, the Lord did what no other God could ever do. And for Israel, the proof of God's existence and the proof of God's grace came from what he had done for his people as much as from any statement of the fact made by a prophet. These redemptive and saving acts were fundamental in Israel's faith. Did Israel ever wonder if God really loved them? Did they ever doubt if God would really go before them? Moses says, you need only remember what God has already done. Will God go before you into the promised land? Ask now of the days that are past. And Christ speaks to us in the exact same way. God has revealed himself to us in acts in redemptive history. And God has told us about these mighty acts that by remembering what he has done, we might rest in him and him alone. It's something we see not only here in Deuteronomy 4 and throughout the Old Testament, but in the New Testament as well. God's mighty acts in history are aimed at drawing us closer to himself. You think of Romans chapter 5, for example, as Paul reflects upon the historical event of the cross. What God did at the cross, what does he say? 
that it was there while we were still weak and ungodly that Christ died for the ungodly, that God showed his love for us in this way, that for the Apostle Paul, as he reflects upon the event of the cross, he says, there it is, there's the, the indisputable proof that God loves you. In Ephesians 2, Paul reflects upon this circle event of, of the resurrection. What does Paul say? As he thinks about Jesus raising from the dead, he says, you were dead in your sins and trespasses. But when God raised Jesus from the dead, he raised you from the dead also. And he's seated with you with him in heavenly places. In Hebrews 10, the author reflects upon the historical event of the ascension of Christ. And as he thinks about Jesus ascending into heaven as the disciples saw, what does the author of Hebrews say? In light of that historical event, we should draw near to God with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, and we should hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. At every turning point in your history and mine, God calls us to ask of the days that are past. He calls us to remember, to rehearse all that God has done that we might know where to rest. His desire, verse 39 is that we should lay these things in our hearts. We should come to see that the Lord alone is God and that besides him there is no other. Notice in the last place that with these gracious invitations to remember and to rest, there's also an expected response. How does Moses conclude the section, verse 40? Therefore, you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God has given you for all time. In verse 33, Moses alluded once again to God's voice at Mount Sinai. And now the point that Moses is underscoring here in verse 40 is that having heard God's voice, Israel is called to live by that voice. And the same is true for us. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, God has, has spoken to us by his son. We have, we have heard his voice in the word. And God calls us to live by that voice. And if we're not doing that, if we've heard his voice, we aren't living by his voice. If we are instead living by the, the voices of the world, God graciously summons us. He says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Don't harden your hearts as in the day of Israel's rebellion, the author of Hebrews says. In Hebrews 12, he says, see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if Israel did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, God's voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only earth, but also the heavens. 
And this phrase, yet once more, says the author of Hebrews, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, the things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. See that you don't refuse him who is speaking. Having heard God's voice, you and I are called to live by God's voice. We're called to do so with the promise that if we do, it'll go well with us. That's what Moses says here in verse 40. If we do, it'll go well with us. Doesn't how the old hymn goes, when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. As the psalmist says in Psalm 34, whoever desires to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and he hears their cries. For as Moses will say at the end of this book in chapter 30, verse 15, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you. But if you turn your hearts away, and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him, for he is your life, and he is your length of days. The pathway of blessing is the path of obedience. In his grace and mercy, this is the path that Jesus walked throughout the course of his life, and by the grace of Jesus, his spirit is, is in us. And having heard his voice, he calls us to live by his voice. As we look back on another year that is soon to lie behind us, and as we look forward to the year that lies ahead of us, ask now of the days that are past. Ask now of the days that are past which were before you since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of the heaven to the other whether such a great thing as what God has done has ever happened or has ever heard of. To you, these great and awesome acts of redemption have been shown. That you might lay it to your hearts and know that the Lord is God and that there is no other besides Him. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, Heavenly Father, as we look back, we stand in awe of all the great and awesome deeds that you have done. And we say, O oh Lord, there is nothing that man has done that can begin to compare to what you have done. Father, as we ourselves stand at a turning point in our own history, the turning point of a new year, we pray 
And if there are any worries or anxieties in our hearts that we would ask now the days that are past, teach us, Lord, to remember all that you have done, lest we should forget and turn aside from you. Lord, we pray that you would grant us grace to teach these things diligently to our children so that the next generation also might learn to ask now the days that are past and teach their children the mighty things that God has done. Lord, we thank you again for your mercies to us in this year of 2023. And we pray, Lord, that by your grace, this might be the last year. We pray that Jesus would return, that we would see him tonight, and that we would so begin the everlasting year of his grace. But if he tarries, we pray that you would grant us grace to live faithfully in the year to come. This we pray, O oh Lord, in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.